All right. See the lights. All right. Pastor uh, John Newfeld, Mennonite from Winnipeg, Canada, will come up and will share the word of the Lord with us tonight. All right, let's uh, encourage and honor him as he comes up. That is quickly becoming uh, a consistent introduction for me. Uh, if you didn't know before, you now know that I'm Mennonite, and I love being Mennonite. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I get a lot of favor and honor in this place being Mennonite, far more than I'd receive anywhere else. So, uh, yeah, it's good to be Mennonite. All right, let's, um, let's pray briefly, then jump into this word. Jesus, we love you. We love you. And it's so good to be in your presence. And it's so good to be loved by you. Right now, we just, we just want to say that we receive your love and we receive your goodness, God. Yeah, so would you pour out your love and your goodness in this place tonight, God? Revelation, would you just pour it out in this place tonight? All that you wish and desire, God to impart to us tonight, God. We want to receive all of it. So ready our hearts right now for what you want to say tonight, Holy Spirit. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. We love you, God. We set our hearts totally on you, only on you, God. We praise you, God. We ask these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. One thing that I've, I've felt the Lord impressing on my heart more and more in recent days and something that I feel is on God's heart for us tonight is this simple truth that Jesus is coming back. Amen. 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 And he's not just coming back, but he's coming back soon. The time is, is drawing near for the return of Jesus and the return, uh, the return of Jesus and, and the ends of the world as, as we know it. I mean, everything's going to change when Jesus comes back. I'm not quoting an REM song. Uh, just, that just kind of came to me. <laughs> it's the end. I won't sing it. Anyways, Jesus is, that might be too old for a lot of you guys here. I, I don't know. Anyways, Jesus is coming back, and, and if I'm honest with you all, that's actually one of the things that's really hard for me to wrap my mind around. Like, Jesus is, he's actually a Jewish man, right? Like, it's not just this vague concept of God and heaven that we have, but Jesus is a Jewish man in a resurrected human body with hands or with nail prints or holes in his hands and holes in his feet from nails. And he's at the right hand of the Father right now in a, in a human body. He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. 
And he's going to come back in power and in great glory on the clouds. He's going to return to earth and he's coming back soon. And he's going to rule and reign on the earth as a man. I don't know if that's difficult for you to wrap your minds around, but for me, that's challenging. Like, like, no, like he's, he's man and he's coming back to earth as God. And it makes me wonder, like, what, what is he going to look like? You know, is he going to still have long hair? Is he still going to have a beard? Like, he's, he's going to rule somewhere. He's going to rule likely on a throne on earth. He's going to rule for a thousand years before anything else happens later. Before the New Jerusalem and all these other things that are going to happen, he's going to reign on earth for a thousand years. What's he going to look like? What's he going to do? You know? Like, he is a man and he's coming back. And I heard uh, Brother Andy, I was talking with him last night or the night before, he was telling me about this, this testimony that came out of IHOP during the student awakening last year, I believe, and um, got me thinking more about you know, who Jesus is and what he does. And uh, he said there was this testimony of this girl who um, she was into breakdancing, and, and she did a lot of that, but... Um, but she went through some really hard times, and I won't go through the whole testimony of what happened to her, but to make a long story short, she ended up in a hotel room one night, and, and Jesus met her in the hotel room. And, and Jesus, knowing that she loved breakdancing, he said, just start dancing. Like in the hotel room, Jesus was there with her in the hotel room. And... And so she started breakdancing in the hotel room. And then Jesus started breakdancing with her. All right? And apparently what she said is that Jesus is really good at breakdancing. Like, as if you'd expect him not to be, right? Uh, but Jesus is a man. I mean, if Jesus played hockey, Jesus would be like the most incredible hockey player out there. I know it. I know it. Like you, yeah. And if he threw a body check, look out. I mean, he wouldn't. He wouldn't just be this finesse goal scorer, you know. He would. He had the whole package. But Jesus is a man. We we got to get this into our spirits because it's such a such a foreign concept. I mean, for me, I have an understanding of Jesus in heaven, right? But for Jesus to actually come back and be here. It's, it's a little bit like if you've had a friend or a family member who lives in the States or Canada or wherever, some other country, and they come here to visit you. And it's kind of surreal. It's really weird because you know them in one place, but then you see them in a different context or vice versa. Someone you know here and you go back to the States and you see them there. And it's just really strange because you, you're not used to that. Like on a far greater scale... I feel like when Jesus comes to earth, because I know I'm in heaven, and when I spend time and I ascend into that heavenly place where we're actually seated right now in heaven, I spend time with him there. But I've never spent time with him here as a human being on earth. You know? But it's going to happen, and it's gonna, he's coming. Jesus is coming, and he's impressing on my heart more and more clearly over the last while that he's coming soon. Like, it's not like, 
You know, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So it's going to be another thousand years till he comes. I guarantee. I I won't even guarantee it. I'll just say I would be. It's not going to be a thousand years from now if I can say that. You know. For those of you who were at the joint prayer meeting in March, Pastor Christian preached a message that he titled "Birth Pains." And he laid out these different signs of, of the end, of Jesus' return. And, uh, yeah, he walked us through. I mean, in the last 10 years, we were just looking at earthquakes because the quake in Japan had just happened at that point. And the amount of earthquakes and devastating earthquakes we've had in the last 10 years compared to the last 50 years or 100 years before that, things are happening. They're moving. They're shaking. These signs of the end are happening. And Jesus says, wake up. Be ready. Because I'm coming back. Okay? I'm gonna, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 24 just to, to dig into that a little bit more. Matthew 24, looking at verse 3. So his disciples were, they were with Jesus and they wanted to talk about the end times. They wanted to talk about what things were going to look like and how they would know that Jesus was going to be coming back in glory. So from verse 3, it says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us. When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another or hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. All right. I contemplated reading the whole chapter 24. It, it just goes on to explain more about what will happen in the last days and how we're going to know that the time is at hand. But we'll just focus on this bit for, for a few minutes. Uh, two signs that should wake us up to cause us to realize that he's coming back soon. First, what we mentioned before in verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places all these are about the beginning of birth pains. We know that it, earthquakes are increasing at, at an alarming rate, at an unnatural rate. 
This is not like things that seismologists are expecting to happen. These are things that are, are increasing and accelerating. Kingdom against kingdom, wars in the last 50 years, and even now, even more so. So many wars ravishing the earth right now. Kingdoms are rising up against kingdoms. Nations are rising up against nations. One of the reasons we pray for Israel is because nations are rising up against them. And that's only going to increase. These things are happening, and Jesus says, pay attention. Second thing, in the next section, just focusing on verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the ends will come. That's interesting, eh? Like Jesus, this has been so clear for since Matthew was written and since Jesus spoke it, that this was going to happen before Jesus came. Like Jesus wasn't going to come a thousand years ago because the gospel wasn't close to being preached to all nations. But we're getting really close now. And what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying all political nations because the gospel has actually gone out to all political nations. That's already been accomplished. But the better sense of what Jesus is saying in the Greek terminology here is all peoples, all people groups. And there are many, many out there. The thing is, almost all of them have been reached. Because of like, the, the missionary movement has exploded over the last hundred years. It's gone nuts. It's gone all over the world. And we're so close. You, know, you guys know Lauren Cunningham, right? Lauren Cunningham is the founder and the head of YWAM, Youth of the Mission, which is the largest mission organization in the world. So he knows about these things more than your average guy. I mean, if anyone knows about what's going on in terms of missions, Lauren Cunningham knows what's going on with missions. He estimates... Take, who, who has a guess who doesn't already know this? How many years is it going to take to reach all the rest of the nations in the world? People like 20 years ago, they were saying like 50 years, it'll, it'll be done. People 10 years ago were saying like 20, 30 years maybe, it'll be done. Lauren Cunningham just recently had a, had a new statement. I won't make you guess. That's fine. He said, this can be accomplished within two years. That blows my mind. Within two years, the gospel could have reached every people group on this planet. That is what's holding Jesus back right now, beloved. That's what's holding him back because everyone's going to hear and then the end's going to come. Now, we don't know if it's going to take longer than that, but he said... And this guy is the expert of experts. He says, this can actually happen really, really soon. The point is this. Jesus is coming back soon. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be awake to that reality. Now, for a lot of people, this will fill people with fear and dread and worry, and for a lot of people, those are appropriate responses, right? I won't lie to you, because if you're not right with God, 
then you better be totally afraid. You know, if, if you don't know Jesus, then you have every reason to be filled with fear because he's coming back. He's coming back to deal with his enemies. He's coming back. He's, he's actually going to kill a lot of people. That's not something we like to talk about a lot. He's going to kill a whole lot of people. His enemies are going to be destroyed. Anyone who opposes Jesus is going to be totally destroyed. Because he's going he's to do that in love. Because he's filled with love. Because he's gonna have, there's going to be nothing left but love. Everything that opposes love, he's going to remove. He's going to take it out of the way. And all that's going to be left is love. So, a lot of people are filled with fear because of the fact that Jesus is coming back soon. But for us who believe in him, who trust in him, who are found in him, it should fill us with joy, with expectation, with excitement, because Jesus, our bridegroom lover, is coming to get us. He's coming back for us. And it just means we're closer to that time, to that, that wedding feast of the Lamb, which is what really, we were created to be with him, to be one with him, to be found in him, to be with him perfectly for eternity, to know him intimately for eternity. We were created for that. And so the fact that he's coming back soon is the fact also that he's going to take us up with him and we're going to be with him forever very soon, very soon. This should fill us with excitement and joy. And at the same time, God is saying, be awake to it. Don't fall asleep. Be awake to what I'm doing. Be watch, be on watch, be on guard. You need to be awake and sober-minded right now in this season. It's coming soon. Okay, so the question for tonight then, with this in mind, Jesus is coming back right away, very soon. How best do we get ready for his return? What is the appropriate response for us as we get ready for the return of Jesus and the end of all things? And, and you get all sorts of people saying all sorts of things about how we should respond to this. What's a good way to respond? How should we get ready? How should we brace ourselves? You know, I was, <laughs> I was online this morning, um, just looking to see, you know, what kind of things are online for preparation for the end times. Because, yeah, you, you find all sorts of crazy things. You've got to prepare for the end times. Because a lot of people who aren't Christians, they're still preparing for the end times. They know it's coming. They know. They see it. And people inside and outside the church have all sorts of interesting ideas how we're going to prepare for the end times. Here's some ideas for you. You can take these home. Okay? I'm, yeah, I just want to give you ideas. First one. Bomb shelters. Okay? Go home and build yourself a bomb shelter. I'm not lying. Because we need, for nuclear survival and bio, biological and chemical survival, you need to prepare yourself, okay? So bomb shelters and various sorts of underground residence. Uh, and along with that, food storage. Store up food, a lot of it, for months, you know? I mean, the conservative ones will say, well, just, you know, a couple of weeks, make sure you've got a lot. But do that. And there's advice for lighting and heating, like 
instructions for how to build your own um, like oil lanterns and things like that because there may be a need for this someday. You need to do these things. And people who write these things are adamant. You need to do these things or else you're going to die and, and you're not going to make it. Survival gardening. Okay, gardening. Now, we don't have a lot of grass or garden space in Korea, but people will say, you need to have a garden because that way, if there's a food shortage, you can still have your own food. Okay? I came across something else that was even more interesting. It was called guerrilla gardening. Like, in the sense, like guerrilla warfare. Guerrilla gardening. And this, this is what it is. This is really interesting is where you have gardens in various places in your property and you're hiding them, okay? So you don't, don't put your whole garden in one place because that's foolish, okay? You've got to put your gardens in different places and hide them, conceal them, so that if someone steals some of your food, because people are going to be desperate at that time, then you've got to have other resources, other places where you're growing these things, Okay? Guerrilla gardening. Remember that. There was instructions. I found instructions for digging your own outhouse, your own latrine. That's important because if there's no water running, I guess, then you need to, and you want to do it in a healthy way, right? And I mean, all sorts of things. I won't go on because I could say more, but like, you know, in terms of financial wisdom and stewardship and like getting your money out of the bank, buying gold you know, moving out of the city, all these sorts of things that people are saying, if, if you want to be ready for the end times, you've got to do these things. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. So be wise and do these things. And I, I don't want to, to completely make light of them, even though I'm making light of them right now. I don't want to completely make light of them because there will be a place for earthly wisdom in the end times. And there will be a place for some of these things. The thing is, if this is your focus, if this is how you're going to make it through the end times, then you're in trouble because you've missed the whole foundation of what you're going to need for the end times. All right? So to see what the Bible has to say, always good to go to the Bible. See what the Bible has to say about preparing for the end times. We're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Please turn there. 1 Peter chapter 4, looking at verse 7. And what I also want to actually want to say right away, I found this very interesting, and I'll touch on this a bit uh, and a little bit later in the message, but looking at Matthew 24 and 25, and then looking at 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11, it's almost complete parallel, actually. And I didn't notice this until recently, until earlier this week, and it kind of, it really, it, uh, it, it surprised me that it was, it was so, so parallel. Matthew 24 is really about the signs of the ends 
and ways in which, or signs of the end and ways in which you're going to know that Jesus is going to be coming soon. Matthew 25, then right after this, this is still Jesus teaching. He's just having this one sit down with his disciples. Matthew 25 is these parables that explain what you should do in response. Matthew 24, Jesus saying, I'm coming soon. Matthew 25, this is how you should be living. Okay. First Peter four, seven to 11, the first statement the first half of that verse says the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, so that statement is basically a summary of Matthew 24. He just thought he'd sum up the whole chapter and say the end of all things is at hand. That's all you need to know. Therefore be self-controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what Peter gives us here really is an end times lifestyle. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, pay attention because the end is at hand. Peter's really writing for us in this season. All right. So I'm going to look at a few things and we're not going to get too deep into this because there's a ton of stuff we get into here, but just briefly, we're going to look at three different areas that Peter's talking about regarding how to prepare for the return of Jesus. First thing he says to prepare for this time, we need to be a people of prayer. Okay. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Given the context that Jesus is coming back right away, you need to ground yourself in prayer. We need to be a people connected to God, a people who know God, a people who are cultivating intimacy with God. In this season, intimacy with God is going to be central and key. And it's so good to be in a, in a year of intimacy at New Philly. Well, we're just making way for that, being intimate with God. And that's really the heart of our house of prayer, kingdom first. If I could, it's, it's not really a plug because it's not a corporate thing. But K1 is a place for those of you who have been there already, the people I've talked to who have spent time in the house of prayer, there's a cultivation that's going on in people's hearts. People are, are getting stirred up to love and affection for Jesus, which is just naturally what happens when you spend time with him. Right? The more you look at him, the more you gaze at him, the more you get a sense and understanding and revelation of his love for you, your heart is stirred up to love for him. And you grow in intimacy with him. You grow in your connection to him and with him. And so this season, with Jesus coming back, we need to be growing in prayer. We need to be focused on prayer and prioritizing prayer, connectivity to God. 
that the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 that parallels this is the parable of the ten virgins. And we're not going to look at it right now. But later on, I want you to look at the parables between these two sections of Scripture. In Matthew 25, he tells a story about five virgins who were wise and five virgins who were foolish. And they were waiting for the bridegroom to come. And, and the thing about it was that, and I won't explain the whole context of it, but five of them had oil, extra oil, with their lanterns. All of these ten virgins, these ten women who were waiting for the bridegroom to come had lanterns. Five had extra oil with them so they could burn it late at night while they were waiting for the bridegroom to come. Five of them did not. And what the oil here, the oil that the the five wise virgins had extra of most likely represents, widely accepted, that it represents intimacy. that the bridegroom took longer to come back while they were waiting for him than they expected. And the bridegroom needs these lanterns. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say that. They needed the lanterns for the bridegroom's return. And so those, those virgins with the extra oil were the wise ones who were accepted into the wedding hall in the end of the story. They had intimacy. They've been cultivating intimacy with the Lord and they were ready for his return. If you do not cultivate intimacy with the Lord, you will not be ready for his return. We need to be connected to him also so that we can be engaging with his heart as we pray. This is going to be more and more important as the time draws near for him to come back, to be at one with his heart as we pray to him, as we spend time with him, as we exercise the judgments of God on this earth. This is, I'll just throw this out there for you. I'm not sure, I haven't fully thought through this, but the book of Revelation, I find this very interesting. Pastor Christian, when he was talking about, about end times uh, a couple of months ago, a joint prayer meeting, talking about a tribulation and how Christians will be on earth during the tribulation. There are people who believe in the church that Christians will be raptured up ahead of time. They'll be spared from the tribulation. But the Bible seems to clearly teach that Christians will actually be on earth during the tribulation while these, the seals and the trumpets and these judgments are coming down on earth. We will actually be here. We're not going to be spared from that. But what we often think if we're in that theological position is that we're just going to endure the end times. We're just kind of just kind of make it through. We just got to hold on and make it through. And then I, I came across a teaching by, by Mike Bickle a few years ago. And, and what he said kind of shifted my mindset, actually drastically, thinking about Revelation. He says that the book of Revelation, you need to think this way about it, that it's actually a prayer manual for the end times. The Christians aren't meant to just endure the end times. They're meant to participate and partner with God for the end times. That we're going to know ahead of time where he's going, what he's going to do, and our hearts are going to be connected to his. And so we're going to pray the judgments of God onto this earth. That may make you feel uncomfortable, but we need to be connected with God's heart. 
the things that are on God's heart to do and accomplish on this earth, we need to be fully in line with it and say, yes and amen, God, whatever you want, whatever you're doing, I'm on board, I'm with it. I'm in partnership with what you are doing. We need to be connected to God. In this season, cultivating intimacy with God, oneness with God. Peter is saying this is going to be central, this is going to be key because he's coming. Be self-controlled and so reminded for the sake of your prayers. Okay, first thing, we're going to be a people of prayer. That's what we're being called to. The second thing, God's calling us to be a people of love. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I'm going to put that verse in there as well because they're so closely connected. Because Jesus is coming, love one another deeply. And there's a difference, that I, a distinction you can make between just loving someone and loving someone deeply. Peter doesn't just say, love one another. He says, love one another deeply. And what Peter likely has in mind is what Jesus taught him while he was on earth. That love is meant to be sacrificial. It's meant to cost you something. Like thinking about the difference between loving and loving deeply, it might be something like this. To commit to praying for the KICS retreat, that's loving. That's a loving thing. But to give up your days off and to actually go there and serve and love on the kids and minister to them and, and pour into their lives. To me, that says something about loving someone deeply. You know? Like the people who were there serving tonight, they're loving them deeply. They gave up their time. They just, they just went, they said, we're going to love on these kids and see God move in their lives. Or even something like, if you, if you have a car and you give someone a ride home on the way to where you're going, that, that's loving someone. But to give someone a ride who, who isn't on your way home, you know, it's going to take you another, an extra half hour to get home or whatever it might be. That could be someone loving someone else deeply. Something that costs you something, right? Because in, in John 13 and John 15, Jesus starts talking about this new commandment that he's giving his disciples. In John 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. It's really interesting that that, that wasn't, in a sense, that wasn't a new commandment, right? I mean, people, that's big in the Old Testament. You got to love one another. People understood that. They got that. So why did Jesus say a new commandment I give to you when they already knew that loving one another was a commandment? And I think the best understanding of that is that Jesus was just about to show them a new way to love. They had not seen this way of loving before. It's a new commandment in that sense. I'm going to show you what love really looks like. And that's what makes this commandment new. It's going to cost you something if you love in this way. In the church, as we ready ourselves for the return of Christ, as we consider 
the coming day when he, when he will come back. Often we think about, you know, cultivating our love for God. You know, we need to be in love with Jesus and we're going to be in love with Jesus. But I find that we talk less frequently about being in love with each other. As awkward as that sounds to Mina Choi. That God's calling us just as much as he's calling us to be in love with him in the same way he's calling us to love each other. That to God, there really isn't a difference. That's challenging for me. I'll admit that right now. Because I, I really like the concept of loving God. I think that's great. But for me to love other people in the same way is not as easy. Because people aren't as easy to love. You know, if, if we're real. But, but God is saying it's the same thing. He says in First John, John says, the Apostle John says... If you say, I love God, and yet I, I hate my brother, he says, you're a liar. He says, you actually don't love God. You just lied about that. Because how can you love God who you can't see and not your brother who's right in front of you? In this season it's going to become more and more important for us to love each other. And again, New Philly's in a good place because this is a year of intimacy where we're cultivating this too. This message is just like, it's the year of intimacy and God's like, he's already like, he's moving in these ways in this church. But yeah, love one another as I have loved you. Because in the, I tell you this, in the end times, Lone Ranger Christianity is not going to cut it. It's just not. We will need each other more than ever. And God's saying, get used to this now because I'm coming soon. If you don't get this now, when you try to get it right before I come, you're not going to have it. So get good at this stuff now. Get good at cultivating prayer and intimacy. Get good at loving each other now. Make this foundation now. Otherwise, that foundation won't be ready for when I return. And when he returns, he's going to shake everything that can be shaken. It's all going to shake. So get ready. Do it now. Last point. I'm just going to make this briefly. He's calling us to be a people of prayer, a people of love. Thirdly, he's calling us to be a people of faithfulness. A people of faithfulness. From verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards or faithful stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay. God has given everyone gifts by the Holy Spirit. We all have gifts and we're all kind of in the process. Or many of us are in the process of discovering what those gifts are. And that's really the, the primary meaning for Peter as he writes this, the spiritual gifts by the Spirit. But on a, in a broader sense, God is saying, be faithful with what I've given you. Be faithful 
steward that wisely. The parallel to this passage, this part, is the parable in Matthew 25 of, what's it called? The parable of the servants, right? To one servant, uh, five talents were given. To another servant, two talents were given. To the third, ta- third servant, one talent was given. The master goes away, and they're told to use that. They're called on to use that, to multiply it, so that the master would have a return on it when he came back. The one who had five got five more. The one who had two got two more. The one who had one was so worried about it that he, he held on to it and didn't get any return on it. And he's rebuked and judged by the master for not being a faithful steward with what God had given him. God's given us all sorts of things, not just spiritual gifts, quote-unquote. He's given us time. He's given us resources. He's given us abilities. He's, all that comes from God, and he says, in this season, learn how to be a good steward of it. Bless each other with it. I have blessed you to be a blessing. Pastor Benjamin said when he came for the encounter retreat, he talked about gifts, right? He said a gift isn't really a gift until it's given away. That's not, it, it doesn't become a gift until you actually do something with it to bless someone else with it. Yeah, we're going to leave it there. But the conviction that's on my heart as, as I preach this is that these passages of scripture are going to become more and more important in the coming years. That it's laid out for us so clearly how to respond to the fact that Jesus is coming back soon. We have no excuse. It's laid out for us. And there are all sorts of other ways that we're going to be preparing ourselves for the return of Jesus. And yeah, it, it's, it's good to have earthly wisdom and to do certain things in the natural that will, you know, if the power goes out, then having batteries on hand and things like that. Different things that, to prepare yourself in that sense. But if you are focusing on those things and not on the primary things that it's talking about in scripture, then you're going to be missing it and you're not going to be ready. This is foundational. Even more than, yeah, even more than going to the nations themselves and preaching the gospel, this is even more foundational than that. Because if you don't get this, then everything else will be out of alignment. This is central and focus and the focus and key to what God is doing, what he's saying to the church in this hour. And so this is a message for tonight, but I believe this is a message for the years to come. Jesus is coming soon. So he says, be ready. Pray with me. Jesus, we confess that we love you. 
We love you and we want you to come back. We say, come, Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come. We want you to come, God. So stir in our hearts, God, a groaning and a yearning for your return. And as you do that, God, Lord, grow us, God, in intimacy with you, God. Grow us in love for one another, God. Yeah, God. Grow us as faithful stewards. Grace us, God, to be faithful stewards with what you have given to us, God. That you would receive all glory, God, in all things. That your bride would be ready. That when everything shakes that can be shaken, when earthquake-proof buildings are being shaken, when the economy is being shaken, when all human institutions are being shaken, your bride will stand firm. Your bride will stand ready. Your bride will stand unmoved and unfazed and unwavering because the foundation is in place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Give us greater and growing revelation in these areas, God, in the days and the months and the years to come that we would not be caught off guard but that we would be found ready, that we'd be found waiting, that we'd be found totally in love with you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We love you. We put, it, our, put, our, we put our trust totally in you, on the rock that will not be moved. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.